0: Now, let's get to the heart of the matter. Hey friends, Kate Warman here, and I am so happy to have you today for our summer flashback series answering some of your top dating questions. Here's the thing, y'all send us in questions all of the time, and we do our best to answer as many of them as frequently as we possibly can. But sometimes what happens is that you're asking us questions that we've already covered. So we decided why not bring up these questions and share with you some bite sizable content, answering them for a reminder, further clarity, something really, really easy that you can listen to quickly. Not only that, but some of you guys here are newer to our community. And if that's you, hey, welcome. So, so, so happy you are here. We're just getting started. We get so many new people each and every week in our Heart of Dating community, and we love it. So for you newcomers, this Summer Flashback series will be a perfect start for you. We hope you enjoy this Summer Flashback series where we've taken key nuggets from previous interviews with incredible guests and are bringing it to you in a bite-sizable, shareable way. So, be sure to share the series with a friend or two, because you know they probably also have these questions. You guys can easily listen to it on a short drive, or getting ready, so many different things. It's going to be perfect and easy to listen to, so let's do it. Okay, friends, so our series continues today with an interview from Gary Thomas, answering the question, am I falling into infatuation? Which, you guys, is so much easier than you even realize to happen. It's happened to me plenty of times. So in this conversation, we're going to uncover what infatuation is and what warning signs to be aware of so that you can avoid doing it in the future or really recognize if you're in it right now. Gary Thomas is an incredible speaker, pastor, and author of multiple books, including The Sacred Marriage and The Sacred Search. Y'all, he brings so much truth and fire. I loved this conversation with him. So get ready as we answer the question Am I falling into infatuation?
1: Well, and especially for the guys listening, I would just like to say, we tend to think, well, that's, you know, women like the romantic comedies and the romantic novels and whatnot. But neuro- neurologists, those that study our brain would tell us men are actually more susceptible to love at first sight than women Ooh. Be- because wow. we're so wired into sight and, and, and appearance. Things go off in our brain where we, we can just be smitten. So men need to hear this every bit as much as women, if not more, um, Fortunately, the brain science has caught us up to a point where we can know more about the neurological mechanics of infatuation. I don't mean to make this sound so unromantic, but it's very (laughs) practical. So let me me go there. We know more about the neurological mechanics of infatuation than any generation prior to that. And what's come out of that is an infatuation is a neurological response that has a shelf life of about 12 to 18 months. Mm, Uh, That's about it. But even then, for instance, an infatuation at 13 months under a scope would look much different than an infatuation at six months. So it begins to fade even before the 18 months is over, which means it's not going to sustain a marriage. It can make us look at someone. It can make us consider someone. It might lead us to start dating someone, But allowing it to cause us to marry someone or even worse to – well, not even worse, but another trap is to not consider someone because we don't feel infatuation. Mm -hmm. I I think is just unwise. Now, so many singles today would say I'm asking people to settle when I say you shouldn't expect that you have to be infatuated to start dating someone seriously. But the reality is we're not all capable of experiencing – infatuation at the level that Hollywood tells us we're supposed to. Yeah, It depends on the makeup of your brain, your sense of security, your sense of self-esteem, the way your brain processes things like emotions, whether you're a thinker, whether you're a feeler. So yeah. some people that think that they're supposed to have this almost out of the body experience and just know that they know, they know the first time they lay eyes on someone, you may be expecting a reaction that you're not capable of having. Mm. And I, I think some people have let some potentially very good uh. marriage opportunities go by because they haven't had what they are thought they're supposed to have. Now, mm. I, I don't want to go on too long here, so stop me if I have. No. But, but there's the, there there's a key point that comes out of this, that those that really deal with infatuation need to be careful of. It's what neurologists call idealization. In idealization, you create somebody who literally doesn't exist. You can't see their weaknesses that everybody else sees. And you give them strengths they don't actually have. You're falling in Mm. love with the mirage. You're relating Mm. to an image. And that's why I think it's so important to try to push that dating relationship past infatuation so that you actually know who you're marrying. No marriage yeah. is easy. I mean, I think every marriage has potential to be incredibly wonderful, but every marriage is going to have its difficulty. So you might as well figure out what will be the challenges of being married to this person. And what I'm trying to say is if you're infatuated, you don't really know. And, and what every pastor, yeah. counselor, a lot of friends have heard after somebody rushes through a marriage out of infatuation, they'll say, well, he's not who I thought he was. And, and that's a true mm-hmm. statement. They, they got married yeah. to a stranger because their brain just couldn't actually process in an evaluative way who they might marry.
0: So even as you're talking, I'm like, gosh, I'm remembering that so clearly. And it's so easy for us to do that male or female. And I hear a lot of people saying, too, to that point, um, that they just want to find that spark, just that spark. You know, they're just looking for a spark. And that's really interesting to me too, because it kind of plays into everything you just said. Well, and and I
1: get it. Um, You know, romantic comedies can be fun. You see those moments in movies and it grips you and everybody would like it. And I'm not not saying you Mm -hmm. can't have that spark. What I am saying, the spark won't keep your marriage alive. The spark won't sustain your marriage. So you want to marry a good friend. You want to marry somebody that you respect. You want to marry someone, I believe, that is growing in the Lord. I I, I base sacred search around Matthew 6.33 for this reason. It says, Seek mm-hmm. first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Right, so good. If you marry a man or a woman who's pursuing righteousness, Righteousness. you're going to like them more at year 20 and 30 and 40 than you do at week 20 and 30 and 40 because they're growing in righteousness. Here's the thing. Everything the world values... And everything the world says we should focus on for relationship fades. Infatuation fades. Beauty and vitality fades. Strength fades. All of those things tend to be on a downward slope. The things that most attract us to each other, physical appearance, emotional emotional connection, sexual chemistry, those things won't sustain a marriage. But the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, those things grow Because God makes them grow. So if you marry somebody filled with the Spirit and they're growing in kindness, they're growing in peace, they're growing in self-control, you will literally love them more as they get older because they're going to mature. And the challenge is when you're in your 20s and you're trying to choose someone to marry, well, they haven't had a lot of time to work on themselves. Our brains aren't even actually fully formed until year 25. And so you can't expect that you're going to find a perfectly put together man or perfectly put together woman in her 20s. Well, for that matter, you're not going to find one in their 30s, 40s, or 50s either. But (laughs) even then, they haven't had that much time as an adult, as someone who's fully in control of their brain, to work on themselves. But if they're on that trajectory, if they're passionately pursuing God, Mm. if they're seeking to find His purpose for their life. And seeking to grow in righteousness, you can have some degree of confidence that this is a marriage that's going to get better and better, Mm. not a marriage where you had a great nine months and then wonder why you ever got together for the rest of your life.
0: Right, I think you say somewhere in the book too that marriage is not really an emotion. It's it's about more of a policy. It's about a commitment. It can be learned together and grown into. But when we base it on emotion, it's we're not going to get any of those things. We're going to be solely very disappointed in marriage.
1: Yeah, it's love is a commitment. Biblical love is is clearly a commitment. Where I decided because I'm my wife's husband, I'm going to love her. I'm going to do this for her. it, it sounds like a tautology for philosophy people, but it's true. I love my wife because I love my wife. I've just decided I'm going to love her. It's the way that God loves us. The Bible says yeah. that God loved us while we were yet sinners. Mm-hmm. He didn't love us because we were holier than our siblings or our friends or, mm-hmm. or anyone else. He looked at us. He chose us, and he says, I'm going to love you. And, and that's the choice of marriage where we make the choice. Okay, from this day forward— you're my priority. Mm-hmm. My heart is set on you. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to make a one-sided commitment in one sense as a covenant that I will put your needs above my own. I will seek to, to protect you, to cherish you and, and, and all of those things. Um, and and I, I think it should go without saying, and I don't mean to insult people who don't have faith who mm-hmm. might be listening, mm-hmm. but the reality is I don't think you can live out that faith fully without the presence of God in your life. Yeah. I, I believe 1 John four nineteen. we love because he first loved us. Yeah. And so when you mm-hmm. marry someone who doesn't share your faith, you're marrying someone who's going to have to depend on themselves that they're, they're, and, and it might be easier for them to love you when they don't fully know you. They don't know your flaws. They're not tired of you yet. It's still new. The emotions are still there, but what will they draw on when they see you at your worst, when you're at your sickest, when you're at your most depressed or discouraged, where will they find the strength to love you then? And that's why I think really one of the more foolish things you could do is marry someone who isn't filled with God's spirit because mm. you're assuming you're so fascinating and so wonderful and so perfect nobody could ever get tired of you nobody could ever find any reason not to think that you're the very best person in the world and frankly I that's a little arrogant
0: you can't be um, interesting forever. <laughs> like there's going to yeah. be days where we get a little bored. That's just the name, of, like our human nature. Um, yeah, oh, that's so good. Oof. And so do you think, so you think that just because we think, or we say that we're in love with someone, it doesn't always mean that we should seriously consider marrying them.
1: Well, absolutely. In fact, I, I talked with a woman who was my age and she had been through two terrible marriages Guys that had not treated her well. In fact, both of them had gotten abusive to differing degrees. And she was really excited about this third guy. She thought he was going to be the love of her life. And she was frustrated because he wouldn't commit to her. And so her question to me was, How do I get him to commit? I want to do this. And so I started asking her about him and and how he was treating her. And I became increasingly alarmed because it seemed to me that he was exhibiting every characteristic of her first two husbands. Which isn't that uncommon, to be honest. If, if a woman doesn't, or a guy for that matter, doesn't do the homework to figure out why they were attracted to somebody who's not healthy, they're going to keep being attracted to that kind of person. And so I pointed some of this out, and and I I you know I, I finally said, doesn't this concern you? And she said, Gary, you don't understand. I think he's the love of my life. I've, I don't know that I've ever felt this way about someone before. And I said, well, okay, let me ask you a question. Were you in love with your first husband? It was absolutely. I, I was devastated when he left me. I said, okay, what about your second husband? Yeah. I, she goes, it was different. He met certain ego needs. But, yeah, it also tore me up when I found out he hadn't been faithful. And then I had to look at her and say, hey, maybe being in love with someone isn't a good enough reason for you to marry him because you've done it twice. And it's led to tremendous heartache. And I'm afraid you're about to do it a third time. And, and yet it is so hard for us to deny that when we have those feelings. In fact, they've shown neurologically it is more difficult to say no to a, an, an emotional infatuation than it is to a sexual urge. We can control ourselves physically more easily than we control control ourselves mentally. Basically, it takes more out of our brain to say no to the infatuation, and wow. so, uh, and that's where. And I think what's even more radical is when I say, "Well, I don't wow. want you to marry somebody just because you're infatuated," and then when I say, "But I also don't want you to not marry someone because you don't experience the infatuation." We kind of dealt with that before. I think it, it, infatuation is like the weather. Yeah. It can make things pleasant or it can make things more difficult. But if you're determined to exercise or have a picnic or whatever it is, ultimately you have to decide, we're going to do this. The weather's going to make it more pleasant or less pleasant, but we're still committed to doing this. And that's kind of how we have to look at our relationships.
0: So in that case with infatuation, what do you think, like, how long should we wait to make a a rational and sound decision about someone we might want to consider marrying? What, knowing all those factors with infatuation? i 'm always hesitant to answer that question
1: for this reason the bible doesn 't give a calendar, and i don 't like to set up standards that the bible doesn 't suggest, but i can' suggest wisdom yeah, neurologically, if I know an infatuation lasts twelve to eighteen months and I wait at least eighteen months to get engaged, not to be married but to get engaged, I can have a generally good idea that I kind of know where i 'm going for this now. If it's less than that and you're getting good counsel, for instance, if you've been dating for a year and your parents say, man, this is a good match. All of your friends say, don't let him go. Don't let her go. Um, You you seek out pastoral counsel. They're just as enthusiastic. You know, then it's not so risky. You're just not depending on yourself. But if you're at nine months and you know your parents don't like the guy and your friends are saying i don't think you see what we see and a pastor's saying i really think you should wait and then you charge forward unilaterally that's when you're getting into really dangerous territory right. so the longer you can wait be, look this is this is a lifetime decision yes. for us yeah. believers and and i've asked a lot of singles wouldn't you rather be happily married for 45 years than in a frustrated marriage for 50 years. Yeah, seriously. 10 out of (laughs) 10 say, oh, I would take the happy marriage for 45 years over the frustrated marriage for 50 But when you're single, Mm -hmm. that extra five years to make another choice seems like forever. At the end of your life, it won't
0: hmm It's so true. It's when we can step, step back and see life for what it is, which in the moment when we're seeing all of our friends and we're influenced by culture in such a way, culture and friends and all of society is like romance, infatuation, finding your partner. That's like the end all be all, but that isn't the end all be all. It's a beautiful, it's a, it's beautiful to seek after marriage and we should be seeking after marriage, but we need to appreciate and value and love this time of singleness too. It's, it's a gift. It still is a gift. It's not not a sickness. It's not a disease. You know, it's like this time is still a beautiful gift. And to your point, exactly. I'd much rather wait and be happily married for 45 uh, years than frustrated and and upset for 50 years in a (laughs) marriage.
1: Well, and (laughs) it it just speaks of a whole different view of marriage. The reality is infatuation makes us selfish. Mm -hmm. I want to be with you because I like the way you make me feel. I want to Mm -hmm. be together with you because it makes me happy. But a better Mm -hmm. marriage is when I respect my wife and I want to see God use her and I'm inspired by the way God uses her. When I want to raise Mm. a family with her and I'm thankful for the way she's, who she is as their mother when I can be with her side by side as we go through this life together. And then she's supporting me in what I'm doing and I'm supporting her in in what she's doing. Those are things that get deeper over the time and they're not quite so selfish. And you know, Mm -hmm. in in infatuation again, we can't help it because we can't, we feel how we feel. But if you think about Mm -hmm. it, when you're infatuated, you do tend to be selfish and you do tend to get obsessive and you tend to be insecure and you tend to get worried and anxious. Well, do they feel the way I feel or are they looking at someone else and, and all of those things? So instead of really wanting to release them and support mm-hmm. them and admire them and respect them, you kind of want to almost consume them. Yeah. I, mean, I know that, that sounds, sounds awful, but it's sort of like when, when some of us say, I love you, we're saying like a boy says, I love candy. Yeah. Not because he wants to help the candy. He wants to consume the candy. Yeah. It just means I really like what happens to me when I'm around you. That's not love.
0: All right, y'all. That is it for our summer flashback series today, answering some of your top dating questions. I hope you enjoyed this insight and wisdom. And if you did, don't forget to share it with a friend or two. By the way, we'd love to share with you that if you want further dating insights, we've put together an incredible free resource for you. The seven resources that change the dating game will help you with further clarity and insight and wisdom as you continue to be guided along in this journey of dating. You can access it for free by visiting heartofdating.com forward slash seven resources. Love y'all. See you next week.